listening to a Chirp Radio podcast. You can find more interviews and features at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. My name is Jesse D. You're listening to a Chirp Radio artist interview, and I'm here with Josephine Foster. Hi there. So you, you've had a lot of influences, at least it sounds like, in your music. And I know that you started off in your teens as a wedding and funeral singer, and then came to Chicago to study opera, and then from there were inspired by the music of Tin Pan Alley. I'm curious what all of these transitions were like, and what sparked the moves from um, like more traditional, perhaps religious influence singing at weddings and funerals to opera to Tin Pan Alley? Well, Tin Pan Alley, I would say, actually goes earlier. My my uh, my maternal grandmother is very was very important source of um, she's a very close a person to me, and she was somebody who sang a lot of little songs from Tim Pan Alley. She was she grew up in the thirties, so I was used to hearing these little snatches of songs that she would sing in the old way, and my gra- and my mother too did the same. Brother, can you spare a dime? You know, stuff like that. Um, and so that was already in my in the air from my early childhood. But somehow, probably because I learned to sing a little with my grandma, I had an old sounding voice. So people would say, "Oh, that's a you sound <laughs> you sound uh, mature. You sound you've got vibrato, or you know things like that." Which, when you're young, you just think, "Oh." cool (laughs) but then I really loved singing like oh in Italian magicals you know things like that I thought were beautiful and so I started to get more into classical music and the choir and started taking uh, my voice lessons and I I was interested in theater and I started to get this idea that opera could be really neat because I heard a I heard a woman sing an opera aria at close range she sang this like Verdi aria. It like was like a profound moment for me. Like it was so dark and deep and heavy and like buzzing, you know, your whole body was like it just felt like a superpower this woman had. I was like, What where is that coming from? Like how does she do that? I wanted to know the mystery of how to do this trick, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I took that detour, but in the end I think I don't really have a in fact I was I did a year of studies at Northwestern when I got to Chicago I did a master class with Grace Bumbry who was a um, marvelous diva like incredible mezzo-soprano African-American a really larger than life woman and I was on stage and I sang a Mozart aria for her and she was like you have a beautiful voice but what did you eat for for dinner? <laughs> and I said, um, probably like Campbell's chicken noodle soup and um, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know. She was not amused. Like, she was like, you need to eat pasta. You need more strength. You need more, you know. And the truth is, I was realized that um, opera demands sort of a weight and a focus and stuff that I think, above all, I just 
it's something so concentrated and so intense that I've, I've started to discover I wanted to just write my own arias. I wanted to do things that suited me so perfectly that I could never be wrong. That nobody could tell me what to eat or the wrong note or the wrong, you know, this is a bit technically this, you know. I, I, I decided to throw it all out because it just made me crazy. You know, there was so many rules and, and I felt I had gleaned the knowledge I, I wanted. So I still have some opera books, but my voice is sort of like a ruin at this point. It's sort of deteriorating, <laughs> but, I, but I don't mind, you know. I think it's like, that's why I wanted to do music. First of all, I didn't want to have something that was about being limited by time. And then I didn't want to do opera because I didn't want to be limited by preserving a certain state of sound. I wanted to just be as close to how I was at any given moment. a couple questions about uh, your album that was just released in August, which is called No Harm Done. How was the process of writing and recording different than previous releases? I think No Harm Done is a little quieter and feels more self-contained than your 2018 release. That one has like, it feels a little more celebratory, whereas this one is a little more, I don't want to use the word isolating, but it is, it's just more self-contained. The last, the record previous Faithful Fairy Harmony was a dynamic album, much more contrast of um, instrumentation. And I think at that time I I was feeling like putting under one umbrella many ideas, colors. And and in a way, it uh, stretched me to my limit at the time. It was almost, I felt at the end that I took on a lot. I was so pleased and proud of the record. But at the same time, it's, you know, a double record. You can talk to many musicians like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I hadn't talked to enough people to uh, <laughs> to get that advice. <laughs> it's like afterwards, I was like, oh, God. So I was like, I wanted each song to really dilate and have space and relax into the groove. And I think that's what I was needing. And, and I felt that Matthew and I were on the same wavelength, like found the slower grooves. And uh, that was kind of the medicine of the moment was just keeping calm and low burning. So it's a little more of a unified and straightforward record. Yeah, I think that really comes across. It's it's a beautiful release. And I'm so glad to have it for the fall. It feels very emblematic of this time period now that things are getting crisp and chilly outside. So this was released in August. It was released kind of without any notable press release information. Um, It was kind of like a Beyonce drop. (laughs) At least that's how I like to think of Josephine Foster. Okay, I'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Why release it like that? Well, I I have periodically, uh, well, for instance, uh, in 2008, I released a record called This Coming Gladness. And... I specifically wanted to do an experiment that I was like, I don't want any press release and I don't want, I just want to see what happens, you know, because I, at the time I was sort of just a few years into recording and releasing records. I had a bad feeling about 
the repetitive nature and the the superficial nature of sound bites and what people would just repeat. I was like, well, what if you just don't tell them anything? And, you know, and of course, <laughs> many people <laughs> never heard the record. <laughs> and that's maybe a, a shame. In this event, I was, I'm not like opposed to the press release because I learned the hard way. It's good to at least announce to people. There's some people who are interested to hear. I asked the label if we could immediately release Master when it was done, the digital, you know, and uh, let the, the physical copies wait. Because I had a feeling of that compression that maybe you feel or maybe many of us felt in isolation of just the need to share and also bypass that weight that there's a correspondence between the digital and the physical copies. It, it could just start to circulate. People could listen to it same as they would later. It's like a, a relief to share something in this moment that it's so hard to to travel and perform and anything. And I didn't particularly want to wait to share something um, if I could avoid it. Just wanting to release something immediately if the digital, if you're able to do that digitally to maintain that connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really special and really intimate in a very non-intimate setting. Yeah. And, you know, you talk to so many musicians, the enthusiasm in the process Sometimes, of course, some things get wildly delayed by years and years, but the closer you are to that creative moment of the euphoria of the creation and, the, and then the sharing, if you can narrow that gap, that's really a nice um, privilege to, to have. It feels like it has its own timeliness that creates a different meaning. have you been doing during quarantine have you picked up any new skills or revisited anything that maybe got away from you in the past whether it's creative or non-creative I, I finally have my childhood piano in my dwelling so I'm I'm like having to re getting to know again this old piano and and so I'm excited to record on that beautiful old Washburn Chicago Lion and Healy piano <laughs> that I grew up with. <laughs> How did that happen? How did you get your childhood piano to Colorado? Well, you know, after the record, I was like thinking of so many different things to do. And, and I realized that I really wanted to be in Colorado and near my family allowed me just space. And, you know, in Spain, my life has been in Spain for so many years. And the winters are more about being around the, a little fire and it's quite cold and there isn't central heat. So I never had a piano there. So I'm like, okay, I can push a button, turn on the heat now. Wow. That means I can play the piano at night and I won't be just like um, huddled by the fire. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, this is very exotic to me. <laughs> Picking up some old vibrations here. Jesse D and 
you're listening to a Chirp Radio artist interview. Thank you so much, Josephine, for talking to me today. I really appreciated it. Thank you for having me. You can find this and other Chirp Radio interviews and podcasts at chirpradio.org slash podcasts.